Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, we're all very excited today. Herbie's excited because uh, we have a new station on the uh, ever static Le Show Network. No static at all. WFHB, Bloomington, Indiana, home of the Le Show program. Welcome aboard, WFHB. Glad to have you with us and all of your listeners, of course, or all of them who stayed up. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is the week that. Um, the media finally decided, uh, oh, yeah, let's go. Let's start right out. Hey, what happened? There you go. This is the week that uh, we finally stopped paying, apparently stopped paying attention, or the media did, to uh, the new book by uh, Hillary Rodham Clinton. I guess she won now. Uh, at least the the uh, the attention being paid stopped once we had been told how long the lines were uh, to... Uh, get in to see her at her bookstore appearances. So, winner, you know, winner or loser, crowd size is what counts. We also apparently gave uh, Puerto Rico what it's been seeking for so long, independence from the United States, because um, the complete devastation of an entire island got as much attention late in the week, into the weekend, as it would have if it happened, you know, somewhere else. So I guess it is somewhere else. Congratulations to them all. And you know that in response to President Trump's um, tweets uh, and comments about uh, NFL players and uh, NBA players and players, you know, players, um, this just in, Colin Kaepernick will be taking a knee for the entire length of a game today. So that's exciting news. Now, ladies and gentlemen, news of our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. A Saudi cleric, not a clerk, who said women should not drive because their brains shrink to a quarter the size of a man's when they go shopping, has been banned from preaching. See how free they are? Saad al-Hijri, no, sorry, Hijri, he's head of fatwas, those are legal opinions, in Saudi Arabia's Asir government. I imagine that's a province or some sort of legal jurisdiction. He was suspended from all religious religious activity after advising against allowing women to drive during a speech that contained comments diminishing human value, according to a spokesman for the governor of Asir province. So now it's a province. Women remain banned from driving in Saudi Arabia, as you know. The ultra-conservative kingdom has some of the world's tightest restrictions for women. I like my women in tight restrictions, don't you? They're also bound by law to wear long robes and a headscarf and require the consent of a male guardian for most legal actions, including study, travel, and other activities. In a video this week, Hijri asked what the traffic department would do if it discovered a man with only half a brain. Would it give him a license or not? It would not. So how can it give it to women when she has only half? He said, you know... He's got a... No, he doesn't. If she goes to the market, she loses another half. What is left? A quarter. We demand the traffic department check because she's not suitable to drive, and she has only a quarter of a brain, I think he meant. Not, I don't think they use our, our change over there. Maybe they do. The comments sparked outrage on social media, which is hugely popular in Saudi Arabia. It's good news for everyone. Twitter users shared the video, many criticizing it and making jokes about his remarks. Some us users posted pictures of Saudi female scientists and academics in response, 
and questioned Hijri's own intellectual capacities. But there were many others who supported the cleric, and the hashtag Alj Hijri is with the woman, not against her, was used on 20,000 tweets. His suspension, ordered by the provincial governor, was aimed at preventing the spread of views that spark controversy. See? It's getting around. And do not serve the national interest, much like taking a knee. The Saudi government's modernizing reforms, backed by the business class, have sparked tensions with influential religious figures upon whose support the ruling family relies. Some clerics have millions of followers on social media. They are the equivalent of Saudi Kardashians. Our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia, ladies and gentlemen, hello, welcome to the show. From New Orleans, Louisiana, right by, you know, right by the bayou. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the godly. Straight from Vatican City this time, according to Reuters, Pope Francis, in some of his most candid and personal comments on the sexual abuse of children by priests, said this week the Catholic Church had, quote, 
arrived late in dealing with the problem. That's it. It was just a timing thing. Timing, timing. Screw up the timing. You got no timing. Um, but there's more. But wait, there's more. There's so much more. The Pope speaking in unscripted remarks. Well, see, that's what happens when you go off prompter to a commission advising him on how to root out sexual abuse. Also acknowledged that early in his papacy, he'd made one bad call in being too lenient with an Italian priest who later went bad again. He also said he decided to change current procedures for dealing with abusive priests. He's eliminating appeals trials in cases where there was definitive proof. As judged by Francis, Francis surprised members of the commission by putting aside his entire prepared speech and chatting to them and not once mentioning Colin Kaepernick. Quote, there is the reality that the church arrived at the consciousness of these crimes a bit late, is the exact quote. Arrived at the consciousness of these crimes a bit late, ladies and gentlemen. Quote, when consciousness arrives late, the Pope continued, the means to resolve the problem also arrived late. The means to resolve the problems also arrive late. Means being a plural in this case, I guess. I am aware of this difficulty, but it is reality, and I say it plainly, quote, again, again, we arrived late, unquote. Church sexual abuse broke into a widespread public notice in the United States, starting with reports of cases right here in Louisiana in 1984, and uh, then went big time in 2002 when journalists in Boston found that bishops had systematically moved abusers to new posts instead of defrocking them, as depicted in a in the recent motion picture Spotlight. Maybe the church was late in seeing Spotlight. Thousands of cases have come to light around the world as investigations have encouraged long, silent victims to go public, shattering the church's reputation in places such as Ireland and Australia, and more than $2 billion has been paid in compensation to victims. There has been that whole Royal Commission in Australia thing for a while. Made the papers down there. The old practice of moving people around and not confronting the problem made consciences fall asleep. That's a quote from the Pope, or a quote from the Pope. Francis acknowledged that the commission, his commission, which was founded in 2014, had to, quote, swim against the tide, unquote, a reference to high-level defection from its ranks. A non-clerical member who was victim of priestly abuse when she was a child, Marie Collins of Ireland, quit in frustration earlier this year, citing a, fa- citing a shameful lack of cooperation within the Vatican. Another former member of the commission, Peter Saunders of Britain, took a leave of absence last year, protesting a lack of progress. Francis said everyone has to realize that sexual abuse is a sickness with a high probability of relapse. That person may repent today, but may commit it again after two years. We have to put it into our heads that this is a sickness, he said. He says it would change current Vatican procedures to severely limit chances of appeal for pedophile priests convicted by church tribunals, saying they were often overly legalistic, allowing for reduced sentences on procedural grounds. Quote, I've decided to balance this out and say that if an abuse of a minor is proven, it is sufficient, and there should be no recourse. If the proof is there, period. It's definitive, he said. Unquote. Francis acknowledged this one bad judgment early in his papacy, way back in 2013, concerning an Italian priest, Mauro Inzoli. Mauro Inzoli. In that case, the bishop of Crema had ruled, had ruled that Inzoli would be removed from the public ministry while remaining a priest. A church tribunal ruled that he be defrocked. The Pope sided with the bishop. 
I was new in the papacy. I did not understand these things well and chose the more benevolent of the two sentences. But after two years, the priest had a relapse. I learned from this, unquote, Pope Francis. Arrived late, ladies and gentlemen, church arrived late. News of the godly, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. What's with the bees and the birds? A group of international scientists is meeting in Canada's, Canada's national capital, Ottawa, to try to convince members of parliament there that there's no longer any doubt that common agricultural pesticides are toxic to ordinary honeybees. Very special honeybees, not so. In fact, says Jean-Marc Bonmatin, that's good morning in French, <laughs> of the French National Center for Scientific Research, neonicotinoid pesticides kill a lot more than just bees. They pose a deadly risk to frogs, common birds, fish, and earthworms. Sounds like an ecology, doesn't it? The scientists represented a task force on pesticides within the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. Good luck with that. A couple years ago, that uh, group released a comprehensive review of more than 1,100 peer-reviewed research studies on neonicotinoids. This week, they were releasing an update to the report and meeting with parliamentarians in Ottawa to make the case for an immediate ban on the pesticides. Neonics are nicotine-based pesticides. Well, nicotine's good for us. Why would it be bad? Commonly used by farmers to help keep everything from field crops to fruit orchards free of pests like aphids, spider mites, and stink bugs. Well, you don't want stink bugs, really, do you? I mean, we call them stink bugs, right? That's not, that's not to make them, you know, more attractive around the farm. After beekeepers started sounding alarm bells about math, mass deaths of honeybees, scientists began to zero in on neonics as one of the culprits. Bees were consuming pollen contaminated with the pesticides, as well as flying through chemical-laden clouds of dust from farm fields. But no stink bugs. Bees, said Beaumontin, were only the most visible part of the problem because beekeeping is a big business. And without bees, billions of dollars of farm crops would go unpollinated. What's he suggesting there? That we're dominated by thoughts of money? Why, I ought to... The, Fr <laughs> the French. Wild bees, invertebrates like earthworms and amphibians like frogs, or frogs, have also shown signs of neonics poisoning, as have birds which eat neonic-coated seeds. Research suggests these pesticides can affect reproduction. No reproduction without the express consent of the National Football League, I don't think. Growth and movement for these species, as well as make them more susceptible to disease. Lisa Gu, a senior researcher with the David Suzuki Foundation, involved in the release of the updated report, said Canada has to catch up to Europe, which banned the use of neonics in crops, which attract bees, in 2013. Why don't you catch up to the United States? where you can use them all you want. You could catch up with us. France is currently phasing in a complete ban on all agricultural uses of neonics. The full ban is set to take effect next year. France's ambassador to Canada will explain the reasoning behind that. Uh, Canada did phase in limits on the use of neonics for corn and soybeans a couple years ago after a significant loss in bee populations. Quebec, or actually it was just the province of Ontario, Quebec proposed similar regulations this year. Vancouver and Montreal have banned neonics in their city limits. Not a lot of farming in their city limits, but, you know, gardeners. A year ago, Health Canada's Pest Management Agency said preliminary evidence from the study of imidacloprid, say it with me now, one of the three main neonics 
showed it was present in toxic levels in surface and groundwater and killing aquatic insects that are a source of food for fish and birds. Let them eat cake. I sp- you said even if Health Canada decides next year to ban that pesticide, the phasing isn't even scheduled to start until 2021. I hope regulators in Canada will see the report as a wake-up call, she said. Why, you're assuming that they're... Yes, you are. And yes, they are. The birds, the bees, the things, ladies and gentlemen. But now, um, there are theories abroad this particular day, this particular weekend, that uh, (laughs) President Trump um, went uh, sort of nuclear on the whole subject of uh, athletes, 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 um, disinviting the Golden State Warriors to the White House, attacking um, the uh, NFL players who take a knee during the playing of the Star Spangled Banner, uh, urging they be fired by their owners. Uh, that he went on that tangent because he knew that the upcoming vote on uh, the Graham-Cassidy bill, the latest attempt at uh, repeal and replace of Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, was uh, doomed to probable failure, that vote, if it comes to a vote at all. And so this was an an exercise in... um, what uh, magicians call misdirection. Now look over here while the hand is moving the the dollar bill over here. Um, I would uh, suggest that a a, a similar theory might be floated for your uh, consideration. We know this week that the fine people at Facebook have turned over some material to the uh, Congress investigating the uh, Russia thing on the ads purchased by um, some 400, I believe, accounts that Facebook in its um, algorithmic wisdom has decided were uh, based in Russia. Uh, I believe they've also now turned over the, the content of those ads as well as the names of the accounts. What they haven't turned over, what has not surfaced in any of this discussion so far is any data on the number of humans that have read any of these posts. Um, Lest you say, oh, but retweets and likes, machines can be programmed to retweet and like the uh, output of other machines. So is it machines talking to machines? Is Facebook making material available to Congress as a, um, a move of misdirection. What would they mis- be misdirecting from? Let me read the trades for you. Scanning some advertising trades to get an answer to that question. That's what I'll be doing. Not for the not for the children. Be doing it for you. First from Advertising Age. 
Two-thirds of marketers surveyed January of this year said they're questioning their investment with Facebook. 40% of those saying they're planning to execute independent audits of the social media platform's audience and ad delivery. Facebook can't go whistling in the dark now, said Kevin Mannion, chief strategy officer of Advertiser Perceptions. They need to take the lead in third-party verification of who's reading the ads. Digital advertising platforms can't assume that trust issues will blow over. No matter what is being said in meetings or from conference stages, the biggest ad buyers are clearly apprehensive, unquote. Advertising Perception said no one funded its survey of marketers, marketing executives. From Media Post. Facebook is claiming its ads manager can potentially reach 41 million people between the ages of 18 to 24 in the United States. But the Census Bureau only counted 31 million people in that cohort last year. Facebook says its ad tool could possibly reach 60 million 25 to 34s and 61 million 35 to 49s, even though the Census Bureau estimates there are only 45 million and 61 million of each group last year. This was spotted by Brian Weiser of Pivotal Research after reading about similar discrepancies in the Australian trade publication Ad News. Facebook has apparently been claiming a reach of 1.7 million more 16 to 39s than exist in Australia. We know, says Media Post's writer, Gavin O'Malley, that Facebook has a history of overstating some metrics and miscalculating others. Last year, the Association of National Advertisers said the fact that Facebook had overestimated video viewing for two years was, quote, troubling. For its part, Facebook blamed the issue on a bug. Not a stink bug, I hope. Those are the worst. But Facebook is sticking by its figures to this uh, recent discrepancy. Reach estimations are based on a number of factors, including Facebook user behaviors, user demographics, location data from devices, and other factors. They are designed to estimate how many people in a given area are eligible to see an ad a business might run. They're not designed to match population or census estimates, unquote. It's about eligibility, don't you know? Wiser says the gap between Facebook and census figures is not widely known in the industry. And from Adweek, influencer marketing, this is where you pay to promote your product through uh, people who have big followings on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, has all the signs of a classic bubble, according to Adweek. Companies spent an estimated $570 million on sponsored Instagram posts alone last year. Most of that money, says Paul Johnson of Adweek, is going to waste. We analyzed thousands of branded influencer posts and found that while influencers may have a large number of followers... 
the typical Facebook post only reaches about 3 to 8% of that audience. Instagram being only slightly higher, the range between 8 to 18%. Because so much content is being published on these platforms, the algorithms behind Facebook and Instagram filter out much of the content that isn't directly relevant to the user, which may include the posts you spent a lot of money on. The other problem with influencer marketing is that with opportunity comes fraud. As splashy headlines tout what a lucrative industry influencer marketing is, many people want to become influencers in an attempt to score a brand payout. This includes a whole cottage industry built around fake influencer accounts and buying bot followers to make those profiles look more impressive. But no, look at the Russia thing. By the way, speaking of which, a way down in a story in the Daily Beast this week, as uh, Facebook turned over the data to Congress, the Facebook executive said they were unable to uh, specify any particular ads that commented on candidates in the recent presidential election. Misdirection. She eligible, uh, eligible for uh, consideration in the Miss America contest? I don't know, but it's not just another question that occurs to me when I read the trades for you. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Ladies and gentlemen, news of our friend the Adam. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, cheap, too cheap to meet. Cheap, safe, too safe to meet. Safe, safe, too safe to meet. I didn't know Adam's had sabbaticals, but apparently Addy the Adam is off on one, or on off one. Plans to remove fuel rods from two spent fuel pools at the Fook number 1 plant are going to be delayed by up to three years because of difficulties in clearing debris and reducing radiation levels. Just a couple of little, little, little things. The government and plant operator Tokyo Electric Power originally expected to start emptying the storage pools at the number 1 and number 2 reactor buildings in fiscal 2020. Why, you can see that from here. But they plan to move the starting time to 23 in their first review in two years of the roadmap for decommissioning the stricken nuclear plant. The revised roadmap. Can you revise a roadmap? I thought the highway just sort of was where it was. A survey of the upper levels of the two reactor buildings where the storage pools are located found debris piled up in a much more complicated way than initially envisioned. Sounds like my den. That will lengthen the time needed to clear the debris that follows as night the day, thus delaying the removal of the fuel rods. In addition... Radiation levels remain extremely high inside the buildings. Well, who could have expected that when there's a meltdown? We thought by now, you know, something would have happened to the radiation. How, how would they have estimated that it would start three years? I, 
The number one reactor storage pool holds 392 nuclear fuel assemblies. Number two reactor's pool has 615 assemblies. So number two wins. Work to remove the total, uh, the 566 assemblies from number three reactor pool is scheduled to begin in the middle of next year as originally planned. Assuming those radiation levels go down. The three reactors, as you know, melted down in 2011. The review of the decommissioning roadmap is also expected to revise the target of starting the removal of melted nuclear fuel and debris in the three reactors in 2021. That's going to be changed to aiming to start the removal in 2021. If they were down south, they'd say, fixing to start the removal. But they're not. The government and TEPCO will remain, re- maintain the goal of completing the de- decommissioning in 20 to 40 years. You're giving yourself some wiggle room there. Hey, I'll meet you for a drink down at the wiggle room right after the show. Dateline Chiba, Japan. A district court there ordered TEPCO, the aforementioned Tokyo Electric Power Company, this week to pay $3.3 million U.S. in compensation to evacuees of the Fuk nuclear disaster, but absolved the central government of responsibility. 45 people in 18 households who evacuated following the meltdown had sought about 10 times more money from TEPCO and the government. About 30 similar lawsuits involving 12,000 plaintiffs have been filed at district courts around Japan. That'll keep the Japanese lawyers busy. The ruling at Chiba District Court was the second so far. In March, another court found both TEPCO and the government responsible for the nuclear disaster, and that was uh, compensation about uh, a tenth the amount in this case. The main point of the lawsuit was whether TEPCO and the government could have foreseen a towering tsunami hitting the Fuk plant and taken measures to prevent the disaster. The plaintiffs emphasized a long-term appraisal released by the government way back in 2002, which estimated a 20% possibility of a magnitude 8-level earthquake occurring between the coast off the Sonrico region and, and uh, in that whole area within the next 30 years. The plaintiffs argued this appraisal shows it was possible to forecast a tsunami off the coast from the Fuk plant, and the measures could have been taken even as late as 2006 to prevent the disaster. A seismologist provided testimony on behalf of the plaintiffs. Kinikiho Shimazaki, professor emeritus at University of Tokyo, also served as a deputy chairman of the nuclear Regulation Authority. He compiled, or was in charge of compiling, the 2002 long-term appraisal. The height of a likely tsunami could have been known if it was calculated based on that appraisal. Even if a specific forecast could not be made, some sort of countermeasure could have been taken, he testified. The defendants argued the long-term appraisal did not provide a specific basis for predicting a tsunami. You didn't tell us when it was going to happen. Sounds like al-Qaeda determined to uh, attack U.S. Presidential Daily Brief, August 2001. Dateline Tokyo, Japan's nuclear watchdog has ordered the Japanese arm of Amazon and two other companies to suspend the sales of products containing radioactive tritium, our old friend tritium, in excess of the legally allowable limit. Tom? Tom Brokaw, ladies and gentlemen. The legally allowable limit? Thank you, Tom. Amazon and the two companies sold keychains and compasses containing tritium. That is, as you know, if you've been a long-time listener to Tom. A long-time listener to this program, a radioactive isotope of hydrogen without reporting it to the watchdog. That's a violation of the uh, radiation hazard prevention law. There have been no reports of damage so far. The watchdog also ordered the three companies to retrieve the products that were already sold. The products contained tritium four to 11 times higher than the legally allowable limit. The legally allowable limit. Of 
One? One billion becquerels. Becquerels. Electrons emitted by tritium are used to generate a glow in such products through interaction with the fluorescent substance. A fluorescent glow. Mm -hmm. The companies are currently retrieving the 15 keychains and a compass that were manufactured in China and the United States, respectively. Something was manufactured in the United States, and it's radioactive. What are you going to do? Where are the jobs? Clean, cheap, too radioactive to meter. Our friend the atom. Out here, out where it shines, where I almost feel right, where I almost look right, cause it's so blue skies and yet I'm waiting for storm clouds God knows I'll do what I can try to make the noise stop but I can hear a shoe drop and suddenly I'm back in my place shim face and believing that the rain is gonna fall on me
from New Orleans. This is the show. Well, President Trump um, has um, more to worry about, supposedly, reportedly, supposedly. Um, hey, OJ, is OJ getting out? No, next week, week after. I'm making plans. Um, I'm, I'm right of that by the word supposedly. Um, President Trump has more to worry about in the ongoing investigation by uh, special counsel Robert Mueller, apparently. Mueller has uh, subpoenaed or asked for a, uh, a whole boatload of documents, of conversations uh, from the White House. There was also that uh, fairly shocking um, pre-dawn raid at the home of uh, former Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort, uh, conducted by FBI agents with uh, a uh, warrant. I hope. Yeah, they had a warrant. And speaking of warrants, there were two FISA warrants from the uh, Foreign Intelligence Court, the secret court, shh, I didn't say that, uh, authorizing wiretapping of uh, Paul Manafort once uh, before Trump was even a candidate. So this was about something else, maybe. And uh, once last year, I believe. So uh, the... The reporting is indicating that the noose is tightening around uh, Paul Manafort, the former campaign manager of the Trump campaign for about three months last year, who uh, has a long and storied career in Washington lobbying circles, once partnered with uh, Dirty Trickster, self-proclaimed Dirty Trickster, and uh, sometime Trump advisor Roger Stone uh, in a lobbying firm, uh, has represented a lot of foreign countries and leaders of foreign governments, including the the previous regime in uh, Ukraine, which was more friendly toward the Russians than the current regime, but also other other countries with less than democratic leaders, you might say. So uh, it, it just raises the question. It doesn't beg the question. It raises the question. Is Trump's, uh, sorry, is uh, Manafort's, oh, and Tr- uh, Manafort had a office, an office in Trump Tower. So uh, Trump supporters are saying, see, there was wiretapping in Trump Tower. In any case, it, it does raise the question, as I say, uh, is is there still wiretapping of Manafort's phone and, and maybe even of his voicemail? Hi, this is Paul Manafort, Chief Executive Officer of Hound's Tooth and Driven Snow Associates. I can't come to the phone right now because I'm engaged in some perfectly legal activities, but please leave a message with your name, number, and uh, if you're a foreign autocrat, I can reach you on weekends. Thanks for calling. Hi, Paul. This is uh, John uh, John Miller. John Barron also works for me, but this is John Miller calling. And I'm calling on behalf of President Trump, who, as you know, I know you know, for obvious reasons, legal being only the first and best of them, the president can't talk to you right now. For one thing, he's uh, extremely busy this weekend drafting a very important tweet exposing LeBron James. So he's asked me to leave this message for you. Paul, all of us here at the White House know that You're under great, great pressure right now. Very tough. Very tough. And it's 
It's from a guy I should have fired by now, and not that I can, because I'm only the president's special spokesperson, but still, he, the president, wants you to know just how extremely highly he thinks of you these days, how terrifically grateful he is for what our lawyers now remind us is your very, very brief involvement in last year's historic campaign, one of which we were never supposed to win, according to the fake news. There's nothing I can say on the president's behalf, or anything he could say on his own behalf, if he was here instead of in the other room, to try to influence you, your behavior, in any way, shape, or form now, or in any universe yet to be discovered. Yeah, read that. But, and I guess this thing is going to keep recording, which is go so good, because I hate to have to redial this call. Every, you know, everything goes through the switchboard now, which is a whole other thing, thanks to the uh, great General Kelly, who, by the way, is one of the great generals ever. But, so, Paul, we know corrupt Bob Mueller wants to flip you or flop you or whatever the, the lawyers call it. I don't know. The president talks to the lawyers. I don't. And maybe it's a good idea. Maybe you, you did something, you know, a little bit uh, on the shady side with some investors or some uh, dictators years ago. Who knows? So... They send you to some uh, country club jail for a year or two, and they, I hear the minimum security federal prisons are almost as nice as some of the non-Trump hotels, frankly. And then, you know, some good things could happen. But obviously, Paul, you know as well as I do that uh, whatever you say, good things could happen, But uh, because that's life. <laughs> and, and bad things could happen, too, you know, all the time. Look at the Caribbean. So, look, I have uh, my more spokesman stuff to do. If you want to talk, call Sarah's office. Ask for John Bar Barron. Did I say Barron? I mean Miller. And I can't say whatever you need because, of course, only the president can say that, right? I mean, who knows what that guy will say. It's amazing. Anyway, Paul, think it over. Remember... Corrupt Mueller could still get fired, you know? So maybe you don't want to make a deal with a guy who's not there, in the, you know, tomorrow, right? Believe me. Okay, Paul, great leaving a message for you. Have the most wonderful day ever. Open up the window. See the AC. Free from the grips of the... Humidity Time to trade Your shorts for jeans It's autumn In New Orleans Just like the springtime Without the bugs Breezes as gentle As grandma's hugs Streets start filling up Tourists and teens Autumn in New Orleans Saints back playing Magnolia swaying Shaking off the last spring's beans Party time beginning Saints keep winning 
Who knows where this thing leads? Second line starts snaking up and down the street. Glove hands clapping to the dancing feet. Friday night fish rides, white limousines, autumn in New Orleans. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. Well, we got a few. Yeah, we do. The France-based producer of Netflix's children cartoon, Maya and the Bee, apologized Friday for uh, killing the bee. No, for a drawing of a penis 
that appeared in an episode of the animated series. The episode was scrubbed from the streaming service earlier this week after an alert. Mom noticed the image, clearly visible in a scene from season one, and pointed it out on social media. Producer said, The origin of this image obviously results from a very bad joke from one of the 150 artists working on the production. They're looking for the culprit among the artists in France and Asia who worked on the series. The uh, studio apologizes. And does networks. Dateline Mexico City, a Mexican Navy official has apologized for confusion over reports. Those reports you may remember that a 12-year-old girl was trapped alive after a Mexico City school collapsed in the wake of that magnitude 7.1 earthquake. Those reports had riveted Mexicans pulling for an uplifting rescue. Rescue workers said Wednesday they believed they'd made contact with the girl trapped in the rubble at the school. For more than a day, rescuers told reporters they were trying to reach and free the girl, efforts that were shown live on television. But by Thursday afternoon, Navy official Angel Enrique Sarmiento said all the school's children had been accounted for and there was no student known to be in the rubble. Deputy Navy Secretary Sarmiento followed up with an apology Thursday night. I want to make it very clear the information the Mexican public received about the existence of a girl who was alive underneath the rubble was released by the Navy based on the technical reports. I offer the Mexican public an apology for the information disseminated Thursday afternoon where I affirmed that I did not have details about a supposed child survivor in this tragedy. Sarmiento did not provide details about why officials are leaving open the possibility of finding someone else alive in the collapsed school. So keep those cameras running. A presentation by Friday Night Lights and Northern Exposure actress Janine Turner upset some Dallas school parents because their children were given material about sex trafficking and abortion. The actress spoke uh, at Eubanks Intermediate School, named for Bob, really? No, to discuss the U.S. Constitution and patriotism. She's the founder of a group which she says is nonpartisan, named at Promoting Civic Engagement. The organization promotes conservative ideas on its website. According to the Dallas News, parents became concerned after learning their fifth and sixth grade children were given copies of a political petition as well as materials that discussed legislation about helping sex trafficking victims and limiting abortion pun- funding. Turner spoke with students September 12th in the school gym while she was wrapped in a floor-length American flag jacket, which, of course, is a violation of the flag code. The school district sent parents a letter apologizing about the children receiving content inappropriate for their age. Nothing about the flag code. Flag has a code. A decalbed Georgia County middle school teacher is apologizing to her students and their parents after the music teacher sent sixth graders home with an assignment filled with explicit lyrics. Benicia Williams was removed from the classroom by DeKalb County Schools. Williams has issued an apology to parents that reads, At no time should students be subjected to this type of language at impressionable ages. Regardless of my best intentions, I failed miserably. I should have used better judgment. The assignment featured lyrics from rapper Kodak Black. Students were tasked with taking expletive-laden, violent, and sexually suggestive lyrics and coming up to replacing them with something more positive. Cab County Superintendent called the assignment inappropriate, unacceptable, and contrary to the district standards. I accept full responsibility for my actions, said uh, Williams, the teacher. And is sorry. Instagram, home of uh, those uh, fine influencers, used a user's image, yes, a user using a user, 
which included the text, I will rape you before I kill you, you filthy whore, to advertise its service on Facebook. This is the latest example of social media algorithms boosting offensive content, apparently. Gardner, uh, Guardian reporter Olivia Solon recently discovered that Instagram, owned by Facebook, made an ad out of a photo she had posted of a violent threat she received in an email, which said, Olivia, you F bitch, and I will rape you, unquote. Instagram selected the screenshot, which she posted a year ago, to advertise the photo-sharing platform to Solon's sister this week with the message, See Olivia Solon's photo and posts from friends on Instagram. The ad has surfaced at a time when Facebook is facing intense scrutiny over the ethical failings of its algorithms. Last week, ProPublica reported Facebook was allowing advertisers to target users interested in the topic of Jew-hater and how to burn Jews, categories the social media site had automatically created. Facebook... Chief Operating Officer Sheryl Sandberg issued a mea culpa, said the company is changing its policies. As a result, Facebook targeted, uh, disabled the targeting system. The uh, Instagram spokesperson apologized and claimed the image was not used in a paid promotion. We're sorry this happened. It's not the experience we want someone to have. This mo- notification post was surfaced as part of an effort to encourage engagement on Instagram. Posts are generally received by a small percentage of a person's Facebook friends. Unquote. The spokesperson said these types of posts were designed to motivate people who aren't on Instagram or who hadn't been on the site lately to visit the platform by showing them content from their friends. The company didn't answer questions about how widely the post was shared. It said it would have surfaced to some of Solon's Facebook friends. We just wanted, we just wanted you to have a nice experience. So do I. Ryanair's, uh, this is the budget European airline, his chief exec- its chief executive, apologized to shareholders and customers this week looking to staunch criticism over the cancellation of more than 2,100 flights after it scheduled too many pilots for vacation. The budget airline, known for ultra-low prices that it combines with charging for uh, airport check-in and reissuing a boarding pass, has faced a wave of customer anger over its move to cancel the flights over a six-week period this and next month. Move affects about 315,000 customers flying through airports across Europe. This is a time of distress and anger for many passengers whose flights are due in the next week, said a uh, consumer advocate. advocate but uh, the airline's chief executive, Michael O'Leary, it's an Irish airline, apologized to investors and passengers affected by the uh, move at the company's annual general meeting. Ryanair blamed a failure within its pilot rostering function. How's your rostering function, ladies and gentlemen, for the cancellations and said 95% of its customers impacted would receive new travel arrangements or refunds approved by the end of the week. This is a mess of our own making, Mr. O'Leary said. Former covert CIA agent and current Santa Fe, New Mexico resident Valerie Plame Wilson took heat this week for sharing an article via Twitter that some called anti-Semitic, according to the Albuquerque Journal. She eventually apologized. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes, she tweeted, calling this error a doozy. The fight started when she shared an article called America's Jews are Driving America's Wars from blogging site The Uns Review, which has been described by the Anti-Defamation League as a popular source for anti-Semites because of its anti-Israel rhetoric. Slew of replies, some people calling Plain Wilson herself anti-Semitic. Uh, I'm not perfect and make mistakes. This was a doozy. All I can do is admit them, try to be better, and read more thoroughly next time. Ugh, Plain Wilson tweeted. Equifax 
link people to a fake online site that mimicked the link for its site on its massive September 7th security breach. The company employee directed people to a fake site that flipped the name of the site and sent people to a similar appearing site. I use the word site too often now. Equifax apologized for the mistake. All posts using the wrong link have been taken down. NBC, MSNBC's Lawrence O'Donnell has apologized for his outburst, his stop the hammering outburst. He says, a better anchorman and a better person would have had a better reaction to technical difficulties. I'm sorry. Kevin Durant has apologized for uh, tweeting against his former team, the Golden State Warriors. And the National Enquirer and sister publication, the National Examiner, has withdrawn articles saying that Judge Judy suffered from brain disease and sincerely apologized, apparently, on lawyers' instructions. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Well, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations on NPR Worldwide throughout Europe, on the USN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America via WBCQ, the shortwave giant, on the mighty 104 in Berlin, on the equally mighty Soho Radio in London, On the internet, live and archived at two locations, harryshira.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone through stitcher.com and as a free podcast, we're available at Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and WWNO.org. And be just like taking a knee for the whole day, if you'd agree to join me then, would you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh huh. Tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and exile in Hawaii desks. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson for the last time here at WWNO New Orleans. We're going to miss you, darling, for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, playlist of the music heard here on your chance to get Cars I Talk t shirts, all at harryshare.com. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO, New Orleans' flagship station for the Changes Easy Radio Network. So long from the Crescent City. <laughs>